Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Rob. If you could kindly explain sex addiction, why do Patrick Carnes put sex offenders such as pedophiles or rapists in the same category? Thanks. Well, I'm not sure that that's true. I don't think Dr. Carnes would. I think in Out of the Shadows, he describes different levels of addiction and he talks about offending in the highest level. And what we believe is that many sex offenders are compulsive in their behavior and many of them do go to strip clubs and porn and sex workers and they offend. So there is a category of offenders who are compulsive, if you will. But I think when that was first written, I think and I don't think it's been changed since. I do think that we have a little bit different thinking. Like I don't see many offenders in, in a, you know, 800 people. I may have seen very few. And the ones I've seen are usually offending online, not necessarily in real time. So to be honest with you, we draw a pretty strong distinction. I mean, Tammy and I, we would not accept someone to treatment who had a hands-on offense in their adult life. Um, so, you know, for me to treat them, they'd have to be compulsive. It would have to be part of a larger picture, not just one behavior. And, um, and they probably, uh, and they have to be aware that when they're going to face the music, we have worked, they're going to get confronted. They're going to get challenged. We don't treat, uh, I don't treat offenders in the same way that I treat addicts. I have a much heavier hand because I understand that there's victimization involved, but no, I don't believe that all offenders are sex addicts. And I don't certainly don't think, in fact, I would say very few sex addicts are actually offenders. If, let me say one more thing, offending is an aggressive kind of behavior. I'm going to use you. I'm going to, you know, and sex addicts are, uh, we're not, you know, when you get angry at us, we go act out. We don't, you know, when we get upset, we go somewhere else. So the, while the planning of the perpetration is similar, that kind of behavior is really specific to the person and their experiences, not to all sex addicts. Okay. So the next question, a sex addict here, I've recently been exiled from my partner and his bedroom because I lied about my slips and rightly so. My question, I was wondering if it was appropriate to set a time frame to revisit moving back in. I'm afraid that without some sort of expected time frame, I will push my partner's boundaries and I don't want to do that. I also, um, and also get rid of uncertainty and reduce some of the anxiety so that I can focus on doing the right things. Are there any framework you might suggest for this type of thing? Well, what we don't know is how long this person's been working on this. And so, you know, a time frame. first of all, you don't, I would not set the time. This is a, yeah, you're a sex addict. I wouldn't set the time. I think it's something that your partner needs to set, or it's in discussion with your partner, or it's a therapy issue. I'm not, I'm not sure about you're doing any of this on your own. And I will push my partner's boundaries and also get her, oh, I see. So you want to have this time frame. I, I understand, but I don't think you can because trust is renewed on a daily basis. And your partner needs to see a period of time, probably 60, 90 days at least, if you've been in the process for a long time. Like if you've been at this for a few years and you've had a slip, depending on the slip, um, and you lied about it. I wouldn't want you in my room for three to six months. And I would say to you, you don't get to pick the win. That's up to you as a couple or that other person. I don't think you threw yourself out of the bedroom. I think somebody threw you out. So maybe they should decide when you get back in. And the well, lying. And I, 
Well, I was to say, and I don't think it's a time, like a magical number of days and you cross it off the list and ta-da, I'm back. It's what, it's the actions, just like Dr. Rob was just saying, is you, you need to show that you're trustworthy on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and so having, these are the, you know, read out of the doghouse, but having the trust being rebuilt, having your actions match what your lips are saying, you know, that's what's key. And, you know, so it can be, I think, revisited when you show me, you can be trustworthy and, you know, da, 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 you know, having, having specific things that your, the, your partner that threw you out is looking for um, to have different so that you can work specifically on those with your therapist, with your sponsor, with your support structure. Um, but like Dr. Rob said, if you're doing this on your own and just trying not to push the boundaries, um, uh, you know, resentment, whatever, and why can't you get over it? It's going to go really poorly. And you know, Tammy, there's another piece of this question that I really want to cover, which is if you're an addict and you want to get rid of your uncertainty and your anxiety, you said um, you want this date so that you're not pushing your partner's boundaries, you can get rid of uncertainty, you reduce your anxiety, and you can focus on doing the right thing. Well, guess what? Focusing on doing the right things means staying out of that bedroom and not pressuring your spouse. And this is all you're putting on her or on the bedroom. Like, well, I'm afraid that if I don't get back in that bedroom, that I'm going to be this and that you're going to be this and that or you're not you know it's not about the bedroom it's about your attitude and your where you're coming from and if you want to have sex maybe you can't you know i work with men some of them along i don't know if you knew this tammy but some along the way who think that if they don't have sex something bad's going to happen to their body like something's going to fall out or something and it's like no you know just like when we we're teenagers your body will take care of itself and it's your mind that's tricking you you know we don't have to have sex we have to eat it's good to have sex. It's healthy to have sex, but we can survive without it. Look at all of the monks <laughs> who didn't have, well, we don't really know what they were doing, but they made nice manuscripts. They did. And they probably still do. So, okay. So the next question, how do I really know when the CSAT he started working with and the other things like podcasts and group calls my PA partner is doing are helping him with a third relapse recently in two years and will help me heal my distrust and betrayal trauma. I am very fresh in dealing with. I need signs to help me know he is actually working on this addiction. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Why don't you start with that one, Tammy? Because you've worked with a lot of CSATs and you've seen people just start therapy and all that. Um, but it's been two years. So what do you think? And a third relapse. So, so we talk about this all the time and I share with people that call in all the time, if what you're doing isn't enough, it needs to be more. So, so if he is just starting with a CSAT and it's been two years and relapses, you know, th then there's two years that he wasn't doing enough. So hopefully this is helpful, but you know, I hear that he's doing podcasts. I, I, I think you'll see changes. Like, you know, what is his accountability? You know, are, is he calling his sponsor? Is he, you know, does he have the software on his phone that's going to his CSAT? What is he doing that you should see noticeable differences from what he's been doing for the last two years? I, I, one more thing about this, Tammy. Um, I think that you are in some way answering your own question because if you see this person Go, listening to podcasts, going to support groups, signing up for therapy. I mean, I'm sorry it's his third relapse, but maybe he woke up. Maybe he's like, oh my God, I have a lot to lose and I better get to work. And, and that's great. And you need to protect yourself from, uh, you need a period of time without relapse, six months or something where you can feel safe. And you're not going to feel safe until that happens. 
And if he hasn't joined the level one sex and porn addiction work groups, uh, there's another one starting June 2nd. They've been filling up um, uh, both April and May have overfilled. So, so the June 2nd one um, is online on seekingintegrity.com. You can always email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. And I'm happy to point you in the right directions, but those are really good foundation pieces. And the guys that uh, go through those, there's level one, two, and we've added a level three. We've got pieces to support, you know, ongoing um, learning and thinking about things in a different light. So I think that would be a beneficial foundation piece as well. So. Hey, Tammy. Yes. Do you ever take a breath? Yes. <laughs> yes. I know you are just on it. So on it. I did want to say something about that question, though. Let me get back to it. Um, okay. I don't know that you're going to see this person change enormously in their attitude, but you're going to see them with a commitment to change. And you should not have to ask, have you been to this meeting? Have you been to this group? In fact, one of the things I recommend, and I would do this for you too, is I ask the addict to put a piece of paper on the refrigerator and say, or in the notepad or whatever, and say, this is what I'm doing Monday. This is what I'm doing Tuesday. And so the spouse doesn't even have to question it. You already know, oh, it's Tuesday. She's going to a meeting at four o'clock. Okay, great. And then you look over and they're at that online meeting. You know, that's really reassuring for you guys to see that we're keeping our commitments, especially to the recovery process. Yes. And I've thought if you have children, like you don't need to go sex addiction meeting, you can have your little codes for what you're doing and things like that, too, so that it isn't, you know, um, your teenager goes, oh, you know, so. Yeah, we would prefer that. Um, also, um, the workbook series that Tammy's talking about, I wrote Sex Addiction 101. And then I wrote a workbook because I realized that a lot of the workbook kind of stuff out there is pretty therapy oriented and pretty complex. And I just wanted to get to what do you do? What do you need to do? You know, step one, step, well, step's not the right word. Um, activity one, activity two, activity and with homework. And so that's what Tammy's talking about is a series where we took, you know, the first third of the book and the second third of the book and divided up all these exercises. And so we get, I don't know, we get 40 people or something. It's, I don't know how many folks come right now. But, we, we limited it to 25, but they're not just videotapes. They're facilitated. So somebody is live. guiding them through that. So yes, because people have said, is this just a recorded? No, it's no. actually somebody, you know, Scott, Jason, or Jonah are leading those groups. And then we've got a couple, Healing from Betrayal with Dr. Susie LeBrock, um, you know, teaching that one as well. So it's good stuff. So, okay. So the next question, you ready? I'm ready. Always ready. Okay. Let's Betrayed go. Betrayed partner here. I have and am experiencing trauma, PTSD from my husband's actions. I'm currently suffering from severe tinnitus. Can it be from the chronic stress? Tinnitus. I know my husband gets that word wrong too. And I didn't, I have it. So I know what it is. Oh, okay. Um, it's a really high pitched Yes. No, no, I don't mean to correct. It's just no, like no, one no. of those words that everybody, it's like tonight, it looks like tinnitus, but it's actually yeah. tinnitus. But okay. um, but I actually have this, so I kind of hate it. But um, it's a very high-pitched ringing in your ears that never quite goes away. And so even when there's no sounds at all, you're kind of hearing this, like a rush of wind or this noise. Um, I do know that tinnitus can, I know this for myself, it can be uh, escalate under stress. And any physical dysfunction can escalate under stress. I would also say to you, pardon me, um, let me see what this question has. Um, tinnitus is also uh, a medical issue. 
And so, you know, there are treatments for it. There are therapies for, I mean, medical therapies. Uh, it's not unusual for someone to have tinnitus because of the medication they're taking, you know, or a hormone that they're taking or, you know, whatever the, the pill or, you know, so many medications give you tinnitus, stress can give you tinnitus and uh, you have to be sort of vulnerable to it. Um, but was there a question about getting rid of it or I'm not sure I missed that part. So the question was, can it be from chronic stress? Yes. Okay. You could answer that one in one group. <laughs> and then I would have never corrected you. I'm so sorry. Uh, so so um, on the next one, can I think you can switch to open because I've got, um, I think I messed yes, up on that. So, so it says, how does a betrayed partner deal with their own sexual needs during this intense recovery period for the addict? I am still very upset and angry, but I have needs that he obviously was always taken care of. And I have been neglected for so long. It's difficult to navigate the right way to handle these physical and emotional needs. That's a great question. I think we kind of answered it earlier, but I'll give it to you in a different way. Um, we long for physical touch as human beings from the moment we're born till the end, we want hugs, you know? And so now that we're getting out of COVID and all that, I would, for one thing, I'd make appointments for massage, you know, to get, or Tammy does different kinds of body work. I think that would be really, really helpful. Uh, I'm gonna get to the sex in a minute, but any kind of body related self-care, if you like yoga, you know, just, really getting in touch with your body, stretching your body, have people, safe people touching your, I think that's wonderful stuff. And, you know, as I said before, um, they sell vibrators for a reason. And I'm a sexologist, I have no problem saying that. And, and there's no shame about masturbation, you know? Um, and you wanna keep your body, the more sex you have, the healthier your body is. And I, I really think that you should take care of yourself. Um, and I understand the longing and the desire to be with that person that you love. and it's not time yet, you have to, you're gonna to have to put yourself first. But by all means, go have sex by yourself. So somebody oh, added for, take, go ahead, I go was, ahead. yeah, no, I was thinking baths too, but Hot. somebody added for the tinnitus, I saw, said it right now. Tinnitus, so yes ma'am. Belly breathing can help with uh, the ringing in the ears because it activates the rest and restore part of the brain. So that's a great, Tool. I didn't so know belly that. beating is belly beating. <laughs> belly, what she belly breathing belly is like breathing. Um, yeah, it's so it's meditation. It's deep rhythmic breathing. You know, pushing the thoughts. And by the way, for those of you who want to meditate, those of you who want to do belly breathe, any of this kind of stuff, there are endless YouTube's. There are endless apps. I mean, we live in an age of technology. Tammy, I don't know about you, but so many people write, and I, God love them, they say you know, how do I find this? Or how do I figure that out? And I just Google go on Google and I figured it out and then I answer the question. So we forget sometimes that even the most challenging things are up there. Um, and by the way, if I were someone who wasn't having sex with my partner, I would type in, haven't had sex, uh, sexual self-care, you know, no one's going to look, no one's seeing, no one's looking at you and see what other ideas, like Tammy said, take a hot bath with oil and it's not sex, but it's nurturing and it's taking care of yourself, music, all of it, all the sensual experiences. Okay, so the next question, what do you think about the use of psychedelics under the right environment to help with addiction? I know therapy and other work is more important, but could it be useful to help with under some circumstances? So there only is one psychedelic that is current, currently legal, legal for physicians to use in order to deal with mental health issues. And it's not even really a psychedelic, it's more of a uh, anesthetic, and that's ketamine. Ketamine is something that, that people do get injected and they go to doctors and it is it gives them a sort of psychedelic experience and i think and i know i've seen the research that for depression 
it's very, very helpful. For other issues, it can blow you out of the water. Um, if you're bipolar, it might make you manic. If you're in, in other words, it will, ketamine is activating. It takes people who are depressed and feel, and it kind of, it's dissociative, Tammy. You dissociate, you know, all the pressure and stress kind of goes away and you're kind of got a, a fresh emotional start. But if you're an addict or if you're an intensity seeker, it's going to reduce your ability to calm and refocus and escalate your, your, your uh, impulsivity. There is no research at all that ketamine is useful for addiction at all. As to the other psychedelics, I was just reading a great article about this, mescaline, LSD, they are being used in trials. Um, oh, uh, what's the big one? Uh, we used to call it ecstasy, MDMA. Um, for example, that particular drug produces sort of a, it's called the love drug. It makes people just feel love and wonderful. It's, you know, brain chemistry. They're using that for people who have Asperger's and have difficulty connecting and having empathy to see if this drug can allow them to feel more connected to people. So um, they are using psychedelics and it's a whole new exciting field of, of, of psychotherapy, uh, rather uh, psychiatry, but you're not gonna get into one for addiction because there isn't any. And the only one that's legal is ketamine. Um, which I don't think is suited for this. So the answer is no. <laughs> and my short answer is, it feels like I'm looking for the easier, softer way. I don't want to do the, like, just give me a drug to take care of things. So so I invite you to do the journey. It's worth it. So, okay. What's your opinion when the betrayed spouse doesn't accept sex addiction as a real addiction problem? Um, as an essay, how am I supposed to make progress when my spouse doesn't believe in this form of addiction? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by progress because your progress is not dependent on your spouse on any level. And a lot of the guys I have to say that come into treatment program into the treatment program are saying, I'm here to save my marriage. I'm here to make sure I don't lose my partner. I'm here to save my job. And they realize, I think, if they if we're able to put the right lens on that over time, they're there for themselves. And it doesn't really matter whether your partner believes in it or not. You you're on a path. And that may not be one your partner relates to or understands. You can just say that, you know, I'm sorry that this isn't a path that you think is useful. I know you probably think I'm a bad person, but I need some kind of path. <laughs> I need some kind of direction. I need some kind of structure to heal. And this is a structure and I'm going to go for it. You don't have to call it sex addiction. The official diagnosis, by the way, all over the world, except the United States and Canada is compulsive sexual behavior disorder. It's actually a mental health disorder, CSB, compulsive sexual, yeah, CSBD. So she doesn't have to believe in sex addiction, but you can show her, you can look up compulsive sexual behavior disorder and you will find the definition with criteria that say, you know, if you do five out of these six things and it goes, so it isn't like, does this exist? Um, it, we have that thought and belief in our culture because our particular manual in, in Canada and the United States has not put it in yet. But every other country in the world has a CSBD diagnosis. I, you know, um, what, um, if you're looking at alcohol and drugs, and you look in the formal guides and all that, they call it substance use disorder. So I've never seen someone say to their spouse or at a 12 step meeting, you know, I have a substance use disorder. It, it, you know, we use the colloquial, right? So I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, but CSBD and sex addiction, they're really synonyms. It's just one is a formal diagnosis and one is a colloquial way of saying it. So you can educate her. And at the end of the day, if there's compulsive behavior that's keeping us not in healthy attachments to someone else, it's a problem. And how do we fix it? There are 
uh, day by day, there are methods we can use. And uh, to me, thank goodness I had a label because otherwise I was just nuts, which right. don't even go there. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, Tammy, to your point that the people who want to take away this, you know, sex addiction doesn't exist. Don't they realize that so many of us have our hopes pinned on this is a process I think that works and I'm going to pursue it because it's helped other people. So to demand and 12 step programs and all that support, you can have a lifetime A therapist you get as long as you can pay for us. So to have a lifetime and a lifeline of support in a situation where people have the same problem, boy, are you lucky uh, to have that, whether your wife believes in it or not. Yeah. And to tool, I didn't have the tools to use and the people in the 12 step taught me. So, so recovery gave me the tools to use to live life in a in a healthy way. And I'm so, so grateful. So, okay. Next question. My essay partner of eight years has been in recovery since D-Day in January. He's, I have a whole thought about that. He's in weekly therapy and SA meetings. I have struggled with boundaries because previously he was able to convince me that my needs weren't met because of something I was doing. As I build courage in being able to stick to my guns and what I need to feel safe, he continues to push back. Specific boundaries are no phones in the bathroom. Let me know where you're going when you are with and no one, uh, no one-on-one -on -one time with female coworkers. Each time he says he is not doing anything wrong, it is not even tempted to. He um, is not even tempted to and feels hurt that I am triggered by these things. Oh, poor I know, baby. I know. Are these I got reasonable to have sex boundaries? With I got to have sex with 500 people during our marriage and cheat on you, but I feel badly when you say mean things to me. I, just think about that. It doesn't really add up. Go ahead, Tammy. Why don't you start and I'll, I'll Well, and it up. says, why does he keep attempting to convince me that they aren't necessary? Because he doesn't want to stop. That's, right. you know, and so I'm going to go back to the, I tripped over the first sentence because it was like, you know, he's been in recovery yeah. since January D-Day. He's not in recovery. He may have some form of abstinence, but if he's, if he's still in the bathroom with his phone, if he's still talking to coworkers, you know, female coworkers, he's keeping that dopamine going. So, so to me, he's like, I would be skeptical that he is. I see this as abstinence and then you get some sobriety and then the recovery is you see changes. He's not, and I'm going to use the word whining about, I feel hurt. I feel bad. You're, you're, you are making me feel bad, even though my partner of eight years has been betraying me. And now he feels bad because I want his phone not to go in the bathroom with him. I mean, please. I, I wrote in the chat, addicts lie. You know, we don't always tell the truth. And what I really don't like about your story is, of course, you get to ask. In fact, you shouldn't even have to ask. This person should be coming to you and saying, let me tell you how this week went. And let me tell you what I'm dealing with. And by the way, you'll notice I didn't do this. I didn't. It's about respecting you and respect. You shouldn't feel pushed back because you're just trying to take care of yourself. And, you know, this whole evening has been, I think, a discussion about as a partner, do I have a right having been harmed and lied to and betrayed and all of that, do I have a right to say no on a variety of ways? And do I have a right to, you know, yes, you have a right. You, you're no longer equal as a couple. This person is one down. They need to do things to reassure you and make you feel better and work on themselves or else um, you're never going to be equals back in this relationship. So they have to work their way back to trust. Um, and I hear a lot of things, a lot of pushing back, a lot of don't ask me that. And why are you bothering me? And of course, I'm doing that. And by the way, personal recovery never does that. 
I would say to you, you know, I completely understand why you would ask me and I understand why you're worried. And another person that should read out of the doghouse who doesn't have a clue how to support his spouse is this guy. Hey, Tammy, I hate to say it because we were short on time, but we're out of time. I know I wanted to say it's okay. There's, there's, um, it, it is okay, but. Well, answer the question. There's 64 people in here. Let's get it out. Okay, get so there's out. there's two more. We've been, I recently found out that my former six years ago acting out partner was arrested for sex trafficking. For the life of me, I can't stop Googling and looking up the status of this criminal court case. It's baffling me why I invest energy in this person. Any insights? I'm a female sex and love addict, two and a half years in recovery. Well, there's a lot of questions there. Um, let me say this in a, in a, in a healthy way. Um, I don't know if you're in a current relationship or not. I really would guess not, but um, there's nothing wrong with longing for the love we had with someone else, even if there's been abuse and problems. I have family members who've been very abusive and very awful to me, but there are things I really love about them and I have them in my life to a certain degree. So um, I, I do think that this requires accountability in terms of your love addiction program. You know, you need someone to call and say, hey, I feel like looking him up. What do you think? Because you're having a feeling that you have not identified when you feel like doing that and you're being impulsive. If you're saying, I don't want to be doing that and in the moment you're doing it, you're being impulsive. And the way we deal with impulsivity is by being accountable. I'm not just going to do this. I'm going to call someone and make sure it's okay. So one thing I would allow yourself to validate that you have loved and that you still have love for this person and you were connected to them because there's nothing wrong with that. And then I would look at the compulsive part and ask for help. My essay husband perceives setting boundaries as ultimatums. Is this common? For example, please seek assistance to support your recovery or leave. Well, I, you know, I, I, I absolutely think that's a boundary. I, I think it's one of the strongest boundaries you can set, right? A boundary to me would be a more typical boundary would be to me. Um, I expect to be home by six. That's what you promised. And that's my boundary. I'm going to be really upset, you know, or, um, I don't want you um, going to work at the office where you have that affair partner. You need to work out of another office. I mean, those are boundaries that we typically hear. So what I'm concerned about in this one is the difference in a boundary and a threat. So let me just say this, and I want to say this for every partner who's in this room. It's really important that you get this. You may like it, you may not, but I want you to hear it. Um, you are welcome to threaten us with leaving. You can say, if you do this again, I'm going to leave. Or, you know, uh, if I see that one more time, blah, blah, blah. But here's the deal. You can leave, God bless you, we understand. You need to do what you do, need to do for yourself, but don't threaten unless you mean it. Because the first time I do something that you don't like and you find out about it and you don't leave, you've lost all credibility. So a boundary is fine as long as you're willing to sit behind it. A threat is something that you throw at someone because you're angry, you want things to change, but they, but you won't respond if they don't follow through. So, um, and, and my other thought is if I were a partner or a husband, I would respond strongly to that particular statement, but I would accept it and I would understand it. Um, and I think having reasonable expectations of when someone's going to meetings and going to therapy, as I've said many times, I'll say once again, if I was in early recovery and I was married, I would put on the refrigerator what I'm doing Monday, what I'm doing Tuesday, what I'm doing Wednesday for, for recovery, whether it's meetings or therapy or whatever it is, one of our support groups, because I want my spouse to be reassured. I don't, I don't, by the way, to the addicts, I don't think any of us should be waiting for our spouse to ask, did you go to a meeting? Have you been to therapy? Part of our 
reassuring them and building trust is saying, hey, tonight I'm going to a meeting, just want you or tomorrow, um, so that they are in the loop and they're not having to ask us. When they have to ask us what we've been doing, um, there's already an uncertainty inside of them that, that they don't need to be getting from us. So keep them in the loop. Anyway, that's my thought. Anything, Tammy? Yeah, I, because I think the work on, you know, getting, you know, seek assistance to support your recovery is too broad. Um, I, I think it needs to be, um, or I would want to see, you know, here's what I'm looking for you, to see you do in, right. as a support for your recovery, but tang, tangible things. It's like, like you said, uh, the schedule on the fridge, I'd like to see the schedule on the fridge with, you know, what you're going to do each day to support your recovery. You know, that's a practical thing. Otherwise it can be like, well, I thought about my recovery today. You no. know, I, while I was walking, I thought about something, you know, like I know we addicts can like manipulate anything. Well, I am supporting my recovery because look, what I, you know, so, so I, I'm as, as, practical as you can have it be of like this is what i'm looking for i'm seeking safety i'm looking for markers actions speak louder than lips moving lying so that would be my suggestion thank you for listening to this episode of overcoming betrayal and addiction if our words have led you to seek help please reach out you can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com